The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Okay. Hi, everybody. You are here with Barely Filtered. And today we have on somebody who, I don't know, just his description seems a little oxymoronic to me. So we're going to just dive right into it. Hopefully he, more oxy and not moronic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely not a moron because it, it starts with doctor. This is Dr. Anthony Yoon. He is a holistic plastic surgeon. That's where, I, that's where I'm like, huh, I've never heard of that before. He's founder of Yoon Beauty. His beauty approach combines optimizing your environment, habits, dietary choices, skincare with only the safest, most effective clinical options into a whole body approach to slow down aging. I like that and gain the appearance you've always wanted. Sounds great so far. It's a complete holistic approach to looking and feeling your best from the inside out. Dr. Yoon has a podcast of his own called The Plastic Surgery Show. Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. And he just released a new book, which I have, and I'm so excited to dive into. It's actually right here, and it is called Younger for Life. Sounds great. Okay, so one of the terms that he's coined is auto-juvenation. And I Mm -hmm. think we can just jump in with that. What the hell is (laughs) (laughs) auto-juvenation? Thank you. So auto-juvenation basically is... The you, So your body essentially has regenerative abilities and it can rejuvenate itself. But the key really is you need to give it the proper tools and the environment to do that. And so the idea of auto-juvenation came around when I discovered really that everything I was taught about surgery was wrong, which essentially was your goal as a plastic surgeon or as a surgeon in general is to bring people to the operating room. And I realized that that goal is completely the opposite of what we should do, and it should be to keep people out of the operating room. Uh, And so I spent years and years kind of creating this idea of auto-juvenation that's basically five different things that you focus on. It's what you eat, when you eat, nutritional supplements, skincare, and non-invasive treatments. And I firmly believe that 80 to 90% of people can look and feel their best without going under the knife if they pay attention to those five things and they allow their body to essentially rejuvenate itself. Interesting. But I feel like so much of plastic surgery is not really getting your body back to where it once was. It's like giving yourself boobs you never had or something like that. Yeah, I think too, what I like what you said though is because my biggest thing with like today's medicine and and surgeries is like it's so reactive and not proactive. And it sounds like that's what you, the tools that you're kind of telling people we need is how can we be proactive to avoid going on the table? Yeah. So, I mean, I went through traditional medical school. I have an MD. I went through three years of general surgery training where I worked in trauma bays and ICUs. I did two years of plastic surgery, and then I spent a year fellowship out in in Beverly Hills. And throughout that time, I became, I think, a really good accomplished plastic surgeon. But what I was never taught in my training was nutrition. Honestly, it was even skincare. Like I actually was one of the residents that taught the doctors skincare while I was in training because- there's a turf battle between dermatologists and plastic surgeons, right. at least where I where mm. I trained. And so we didn't train with each other because they were fighting to for Botox patients yeah. and stuff. <laughs> right. And so really for me, I feel that the absolute best way to target aging, but also general health, which is something you guys have covered here, is a true integrative approach, is combining both the traditional medicine, which we need. You know, if you get in a car accident, you don't need an alternative medicine doctor. You yeah. need a hyaluronic acid. You know, you need a surgeon. But also using those alternative methods because that's going to be where you really establish the foundation of true anti-aging. Okay, and, and when you say anti-aging, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's becomes this kind of kitschy term. It's like, can we actually reverse 
aging. Is that a possible scenario? So there is a difference between biological aging and chronological aging. So mm. of course you cannot reverse chronological aging. I mean, unless you've got a magic DeLorean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was you. But, that's, why we, that's why we asked you to come in. <laughs> but biological aging, you truly can. You know, there are different tests that some people take that can uh, kind of estimate what their biological age is. And, and, you know, there's arguments of how accurate those are. But really, there are people who have had, let's say, medical issues and they have changed their diet, they have changed their lifestyle and have seen those medical issues improve without actual, you know, traditional medical intervention. And yeah. that's where you can definitely reverse your biological age that's, as well I, as the I'm biological not... age of your skin. You know, there mm -hmm. are non-invasive treatments that you can have done that will cause your skin to look and act actually younger. And Thoughts when you on that, I will sorry yeah. to interrupt, Aurora, because I noticed with skin, especially once you get to that 50 age range, you really see the difference. I know women who have mm -hmm. like, I've never done Botox. They don't drink. Thoughts on alcohol. Yes. So, well, when you talk about 50, what we have to talk about then with women is menopause. Yep. Okay. So what happens in that situation? Very simply, okay, 70 to 80% of our skin is made of collagen. Collagen is that part of our skin that causes our skin to feel tight, to be smooth, to honestly look youthful. And once you hit about the age of 25, you start to lose about 1% of the thickness of collagen every year. Now, once women go through menopause, that increases to about 2% a year. And that's why you may see some women who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s, and they can have tissue paper thin mm -hmm. skin where it can literally tear from a simple scratch. Oh, no. You don't see that as much in men. You know, it's mostly in women because that of that hormonal? process. Some of that, some of that can be hormonal, but you can reverse it. You know, we do know what is collagen. Collagen is a large protein. And so one thing that one of the main causes of skin aging is that reduction of collagen. How do you get the collagen back? You want to go on a higher protein diet, especially women after menopause. That can be very important. Oh, okay. That. So that's so interesting because I see so many, you know, collagen products like topical yeah. products or smoothies, and I'm always a little hesitant because I'm like, I, you know, I Do take this work? supplement every day and I don't really see a difference. Like, what is the best form of collagen? Okay, so collagen is a large protein, like I mentioned, and if you put a collagen cream on your skin. Your skin is a barrier. It's the stratum corneum of your skin. That upper layer of skin is meant to keep stuff out. Bacteria, to you know, toxins, and all these different things that can make you sick. Well, that protein, collagen, is too big to get through your skin. So if you buy a collagen protein, that is a waste of your money. Now, if it may be a nice moisturizer, but it's not going to truly impact the actual collagen of your skin. So then the question is, is what about if you take it by mouth? So there are doctors who will tell you, traditional physicians, and, and I comment on collagen all the time, and I get so many comments. My family doctor said, don't bother taking collagen supplements. They don't do anything. So what does the science show? Well, there have been studies, a lot of studies, that have looked at collagen supplements. There was a 2021 meta-analysis of over 1,100 patients who took hydrolyzed collagen peptides for 90 days and found a statistically significant improvement in wrinkles, hydration, and elasticity of their skin. There have actually been placebo-controlled clinical trials where they take somebody, they put them on hydrolyzed collagen peptide supplements for a couple of months, and then they biopsy their skin later and find that that skin has more collagen in it. Huh, interesting. So there are a lot of studies to support that taking collagen supplements by mouth can definitely improve the collagen of your skin. Is there a difference in the collagen? Because I take Bub's collagen, and it's marine collagen, I believe. So is there a difference between marine collagen and other collagens? And bovine. So a couple things. I don't know of any specific difference between okay. marine and bovine, bovine being from cow. But the keys with collagen is, you know, the argument that the traditional doctors and healthcare people will make against collagen supplements 
is that it's a large protein. How do you know that it's going to actually make its way to your skin? Because how do you know your body is even going to absorb it because mm -hmm. it's such a large protein? And so the collagen supplements you want to look for are hydrolyzed collagen peptides. And what that essentially means is you take that large protein, you break it down into individual amino acids or peptides, which are small numbers of amino acids. They do that on purpose so that you can actually absorb it. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's done that way. So that's what you ideally want to look for. Now, if you are plant-based, there are plant-based quote unquote sources of collagen, but they're not real collagen. There are typically substances that can help to encourage collagen production, but they're not true collagen. So marine collagen is not real collagen? Marine is, is fish-based Oh, collagen. it's fish. I didn't know if it was yeah. like seaweed or something. Yeah. Okay, that's so Seaweed's interesting. going to be more with omega-3s. So yeah. if you're like a, a plant-based and you want to take omega-3 supplements, then algae type, that type of thing. Okay. That's, that's, and is it, that's should, bona fide though. That's should, good. Should you take it on an empty stomach? I know sometimes the absorption of these supplements is not... Yeah. I haven't seen any evidence either way on okay. that. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's necessary. On the, on the note of skin, because you were so kind to bring us some of your your oh, products you. and you were mentioning the difference and you know, fragrance free, all of that. What is the importance when we are using, you know, you, we take all these supplements, for example, the collagen cream, it doesn't even work, you know, or some of these are full of just water. What, when we're looking for skincare, what should we be looking for or trying to avoid? So I think with skincare, it's, the first thing I would try to encourage people is not to be afraid of using skincare. And so, yes, you know, and I'm all about the clean beauty movement, but the term clean beauty, it's kind of like the term organic. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's like poop is organic, guys. Yeah. It's kind of been a little bastardized and like yeah. anybody can say that they're clean beauty. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough term to really throw around. Mm -hmm. But essentially, we do know that the FDA does not regulate skincare products here in the United States like it does out in Europe. Like there's literally something like 11 different ingredients that are banned here in the United States mm -hmm. where there are hundreds, if not thousands banned in, in Europe. Wow. That being said, you know, is using, let's say, a drugstore brand retinol going to be dangerous for you? Not necessarily. I mean, it, it's almost it's kind of the way I look at it. It's like if you're eating organic versus conventional, I'd much rather have you eat a conventional apple than eat an organic, you know, dessert type of a mm -hmm. food any day. Mm -hmm. So really, I think you want to look at the actual product first versus worrying about, let's say, hey, what preservative is in this? Okay, um, right. I, I think that really what I look at overall is the overall accumulation of the various chemicals in our environment that we're exposed to. So yeah, if you can try to reduce that and use products that are quote unquote cleaner, that's I think ideal. But at the same time, I'd rather have you just start using products if you haven't, because you know, without worrying about that this moment. And if you get to that point where you can and you have the ability to say, hey, I'm going to be choosy and I'm going to use, let's say, Dr. Yoon's products versus the stuff at the drugstore, then by all means, that may be better for you. But kind of like that whole organic conventional debate, like, you know, I'd rather have you just focus on starting using products first because they can help, even if they may have some preservatives that ideally we wouldn't want them in there. Right. Okay, guys, new year, new me, kind of. I am trying to cut my drinking back or at least just be smarter with my drinking habits. So if there's one thing that my friends and I love to do on the weekend, it is to have a nice day drink, something light, something crisp, something refreshing, something that's not going to make me feel bloated or like I overindulge. And for me, that's an ice cold seltzer. So watching some football during the day, friends, family, kids, I love just watching a good game, especially this time of the year with playoff football. I love to get Truly. So that's why we are so excited that Truly is shaking things up with their new party pack. Truly believes life can be more refreshing when we can be real, 
let loose, embrace imperfection, and allow ourselves to be free from convention. That's why Truly has something for everyone and more than 30 unique flavors, including three lightly flavored mix packs, berry, and a new party pack. Berry is definitely my favorite flavor. Truly Hard Seltzer's new party pack has flavors for everyone, making it perfect for you and your friends. So really, I feel like Truly Hard Seltzer is something that everyone likes. Man, woman, they got it all for you. So to find Truly Hard Seltzer near you, go to trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations. That's trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations. Truly Hard Seltzer, keep it light. Truly Hard Seltzer Beverage Company, Boston, Massachusetts. Please drink responsibly. So I don't know if you guys remember, but a few episodes ago, Kristen had a controversial remark that all women should have their nails done at least every two weeks. And then we kind of went back and forth because I was like, that's really expensive. Not everybody can afford that. But I think that it ties in so nicely with our one of our sponsors today because Olive in June is an affordable at-home DIY manicure. And it's chip-free manis. They last up to seven days or more. And the value, get this, is $2 per manicure. And it gives you like everything in one box. So there's no guessing. There's no like additional tools that you need. And I'm always like a little skeptical about DIY nails. I'm not going to lie. Like it's been years since I did my own nails until I started using Olive in June because they have these press-ons that I like and they have all different sizes and like everything that you need to put it on for yourself and they last. And they're actually so easy to take off too. So you don't have to damage your nail. That's what I cannot stand about gel or like dip or any of that because it just ruins your nail underneath. But with Olive in June, you can actually just soak it in warm water and it literally comes right off. You can switch them out. And the press-ons, they look like you got them at the salon and they last 10 plus days. So the manis can last seven plus days. They have so many different options too. They don't just have press-on nails. They have a paint-on nail polish as well that dries in one minute, which is awesome because that's one of the reasons why I always get gel because it dries so quickly, but then it ruins your nail. So these guys have thought of it all. And of course, if you want to use a code, just visit oliveandjune.com slash barely filtered. That's for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash B-A-R-E-L-Y-F-I-L-T-E-R-E-D for 20% off your first system. You guys are going to love this. Hey, this is Sammy Clark. And this is Sammy Spalter. We are best friends, co-founders of our wellness platform, Form, and now hopefully your new favorite podcast host with our new podcast, Transform. We started Transform because we are constantly having all of these big life chats. So we thought it was time to bring the conversations to the mic for you to join in, knowing we can all relate to the forming the best version of ourselves. We will be chatting it up from everything from self-love, health and wellness, relationships, owning a business, and all of the other hills and valleys that is this big, beautiful life. Tune in every week, wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you See soon. You soon. On that note, what are the number one aggressors towards collagen depletion? What should we avoid in our diet or our lifestyle? 
So collagen depletion, that's going to occur naturally. Now, there are things that you can do in your diet and, and lifestyle that can damage the collagen. It may not cause it to deplete, but it can definitely damage it. The first thing it really is sugar. So sugar can actually bond to the collagen of your skin. And so really, if I were to talk about the number one ager of our skin, food-wise, number one would be sugar, and number two would be highly processed foods. Mm -hmm. Okay, so sugar will prematurely age your skin by literally bonding to the collagen of your skin. So the way I describe it, the collagen of our skin, they're like the logs of a log cabin. And when you're younger, those logs are nice and tight. Mm. They're smooth. They're strong. And as you get older, those logs start to fall apart because collagen, they're like fibers. They start to fall apart. They get loose. And then what happens when sugar comes along? Well, when you're eating a high sugar diet, those, that sugar will actually bond to those collagen proteins and it will cause them to become more kinked. As they're falling apart, now they come, become more kinked and it will prematurely age you. And the collagen-sugar combination are called advanced glycation end products or AGEs, like kind of mm -hmm. appropriately titled. Um, so collagen can actually pre prematurely age your skin by literally bonding to the collagen of your skin. Yeah, sugar is um, the devil, basically. Yeah. It's terrible yeah. for every... Well, someone just told me that... Worse than smoking? I mean, smoking is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> what about so, vaping? So studies have looked at vaping and smoking as far as skin health. This is something that's been really big because I still do a lot of surgery, you know? And there actually was a recent study that compared wound healing and people who smoke and people who vape both vape nicotine and non-nicotine and found a uh, reduction in the healing or a, a, how would we call it, a negative impact on he wound healing very evenly amongst all three groups. Oh. So whether you smoke cigarettes, whether you vape nicotine or vape non-nicotine, it appears to have a fairly equal negative effect on wound healing. We just don't understand why. Because so we think, oh, it's, you know, some of it's due to nicotine, but why is it that when you vape substances that don't even have nicotine, that will cause problems with wound healing. We don't understand why, but the studies are showing, the early studies are showing even, that it does. Even um, marijuana, because don't marijuana have like, you know, healing benefits? So supposedly? marijuana, we just don't know because yeah. it's been illegal for so yeah. long. We don't have any studies on it. So I would have to assume that it's not good. Mm -hmm. My patients, I tell them, look, if you are doing marijuana, then stop smoking it. Edibles may be okay, but even that, I don't know. You know, yeah. it's is it the act of actual smoking and getting these chemicals into your lungs that's causing this healing problem and yeah. the damage to our skin? It seems like it. And or is so, it the or is it emotion? the mental component of being addicted to something and your body is not able to heal itself properly? True, because uh, all those happy the stress, people, they're I mean, glowing much more than <laughs> it's probably a combination like anything in life. It's probably yeah. multi-factor yeah. factorial. And but but yes, the fact is is that. Vaping in general, if you look at from a health perspective, is in general preferred to smoking, but it's not good for you yeah, no, at all. Yeah. And in wound healing and skin health, it appears to be possibly equally bad. Yeah, they need to do a study where, where it's somebody just like chewing nicotine gum or wearing patches, yeah. not vaping and see if how their wound healing have, like works. Yeah, I mean, we do know that nicotine will constrict blood vessels. And if you constrict blood vessels, then you don't get enough blood supply and that can cause healing issues too. That's uh. also one reason why if you see people who've smoked a long time, they don't have, you know, I look at your both of your skin and you're, you have rosy colored skin. Like you can tell you've mm -hmm. got good vascularity, meaning yeah. you've got good blood supply, good circulation. I get patients who come in to see me and I can tell literally the minute they walk in that they're a smoker. You because, tell right away. Because yeah. they have their skin is much flatter in color. Yeah. It's much more dull. Yeah. They don't have that kind of rosy appearance. Now, there's a difference between also inflamed skin because then mm -hmm. I'll see that you could see some guys who'll come in and you know that they're eating a horrible diet. Mm -hmm. They don't or take care of their skin. lots of alcohol. And they got really rosy 
cheeks, but they look more inflamed rosy right. versus healthy rosy like yeah. your cheeks. Um, I want to switch gears from skin to to boobs. I know. I was thinking that too. Oh, yeah, well, so, so she recently, you can speak on your experience, but I had boob implants 10 years ago and I'm at that point where it's like, it's time to either get new ones. And I've also had three kids. It's time for a lift. Yeah. So that's a for sure. But I'm in that point where it's like, do I want those perky, perfect boobs with implants or do I want to do the explant and just be, you know, like I take care of my body and I'm so clean and all this. Why would I put that back into my body? Can you talk to us about the, you know, the movement of explants? Yeah. The pros of cons of implants in general? So, yeah, I mean, the, the history of breast implants were basically implants, the silicone implants, there was this big uproar in the late 80s, early 90s, where a lot of women thought that they were having autoimmune or systemic, meaning kind of inside your body type symptoms from implants. And so in 1992, the FDA introduced a moratorium on silicone implants as a way to basically study them to make sure that they're safe. Dow Chemical went bankrupt. There was a big class action lawsuit and all this stuff happened. So between the years of 1992 to, to 2006, all we really used were saline implants, saltwater filled implants. Hmm. But we did use silicone implants in breast reconstruction and as a part of the study. So fast forward, November of 2006, the FDA lifts the ban on silicone implants, allowing them to be used again. The dogma in plastic surgery, what in general plastic surgeons believe and what they teach is that breast implants do not make people sick. And when I went through all my training, that was what I was always taught. And I believed it because that's what all of my you know, professors and surgeons all told me. So fast forward now, we get into the, the mid 2010s and stuff and websites start popping up from women who are saying, look, I've had implants, I've had them taken out and I have my symptoms are much better. Facebook groups come along and you've got tens of thousands of women sharing their stories about explants on these groups and it starts becoming this big uproar. So I start seeing this and I start wondering as a traditional plastic surgeon, what's going on here? You know, all of my teaching was that, you know, the studies show that implants don't make people sick. But did I look at those studies? Did I ever yeah. read <laughs> those studies? I mean, I looked at them and I did read them, but did I actually really study them? No. Do other plastic surgeons truly take the time to study these studies? Not all of them. So I started looking into the claims from these groups and I started looking into the scientific articles that they would cite in their, in their writings. And I'd never heard of these articles. And I found that they're in the internal medicine literature. They're in the rheumatology literature. And so I started looking at these articles and I started thinking, wow, like we weren't taught any of this stuff. Mm. We were taught the things that were from plastic surgeons. Well, plastic surgeons, what's the number one most popular cosmetic surgery? Breast augmentation. Mm. Who is funding a lot of these really big studies? Implant companies are funding mm. them. Wow. How is that? Legal? So I came to a realization that I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And now I know. <laughs> and so I, I was one of the first plastic surgeons to be public to say, hey, there's something here. I think that breast implant illness is real. And the backlash was pretty swift. Mm -hmm. And I had friends of mine, colleagues who would uh, text me and call me and say, you got to get off of this and, yeah. and be quiet. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are not happy with you. So what really is the deal with implants? The fact is right now is we don't have true data. We don't have a lot of data right now at all. And so there are people on one side who will say all breast implants are uh, toxic and nobody should get them. They should just ban them for everybody. And then there are people on the other side, plastic surgeons, who will say that they're safe for everybody. And if women think that they're getting sick from it, it's all in their head and they need to see a psychiatrist. And this oh, is, wow. I've, I had a patient of mine not that long ago who I put implants in like 15 years ago. And she was talking to a plastic surgeon just like 
two or three years ago saying, hey, I think I may have these symptoms. And he said, you've got to go see a psychiatrist. Wow. wow. It was not like, tell me more about your symptoms. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. Just brushed her off of like, go see well, a psychiatrist. And also like, why is it only those two options? Why isn't it that maybe you already have a predisposition towards some kind of autoimmune something and then this is just exacerbating it? I imagine that's hard to link to. Like, is it the it's, implant itself? The problem is, is it's issues. what we call a diagnosis of exclusion. There's no test that you can take that will say, hey, this blood test is positive. You have BII. Mm-hmm. You have breast implant illness. And so essentially what it is, is that you rule out everything else. And then when you have nothing else that you can know is causing your symptoms, then we say, well, let's take out your implants and let's see if you get better. Yeah. And the fact is, is that if you have a constellation of these symptoms, hair loss, fatigue, muscle aches, joint pain, unexplained rashes, brain fog, and you take your implants out, anywhere from 55 to 85% of people of women get a significant improvement in their symptoms. Wow. It's a high percentage. Yeah, it sounds like maybe they, it's, I mean, it's an, it's an immune response. It's like their body's attacking itself. Maybe they just had an allergy to the implant, right? Or We don't know. Yeah, you know, is it's it, crazy. Is it some type of a silicone sensitivity? Some people at one point thought maybe it's heavy metals. That has, there was a smaller, there was a small study that was recently done that appeared to disprove that. So it's probably not due to heavy metals. It might be due due to biofilm, which is bacteria that can be potentially on the implant. Mm. You know, I think, you know, for me, the way I look at it is I believe in bio-individuality. I think that not everybody's body reacts in the same way. Mm. And, you know, general traditional medicine has been really good with taking thousands and thousands of people and seeing kind of these general trends and saying, hey, you know, this medication works for the vast majority of people, so we should use it. But there's always going to be those people that just don't quite follow that. And sometimes general medicine is not great for those people, mm, because right. if you don't follow like the major trend of most people, you're kind of this outlier, then you don't necessarily fit into evidence-based medicine, then how do we treat you? And that's, I think, where it can right. become confusing. It's so funny too. Like you mentioned how you guys didn't learn about nutrition. And I think that when I tell people that it's people's minds are blown because you're taught to do surgery, right? You're taught yeah. to react, not exactly be proactive. So what training do you have in medical school around food, or, you know, what you're consuming or nutrition? Very little. I mean, it's all the general stuff. Like, yeah. hey, you know, heart disease, you, you should eat, you know, low you know, saturated fat diet, avoid trans fats. It's very, the, the, kind of the general stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, if somebody's got high blood pressure, reduce the amount of sodium that they eat. Yeah. It's very basic stuff like that that we are taught. But we're not really talk, taught more more than really outside of macronutrient type mm. stuff. Yeah. You know, it really, there really is very little. Now, I think that there is a push towards getting more of that in medical school, which I think is super, super important. Mm -hmm. But for me, you know, I learned all this stuff, spending thousands and thousands of hours on my own learning it versus, you know, back when I was in medical school. What are your thoughts on, I'm really into like the biohacking and whatever I can do holistically mm -hmm. first before I try a supplement or anything else, a treatment. I just finished up an 86 hour fast. It was the longest I've ever gone. What do you think about fasting and how it can improve? Because I I think it was after 72 hours, you hit stem cell rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. Can you speak on fasting and the the yeah. benefits to that and you know anti-aging? So I mentioned in the book, it's about auto-juvenation, this anti-aging process of using your body's own regenerative abilities to rejuvenate itself. And so I said, number one is what you eat. Number two is when you eat. Mm-hmm. And so that is really important. And so how is that? So basically, as, our, as we are alive, our cells are producing waste products, okay? Essentially, these are used intracellular organelles and proteins and, and used mitochondria. And so our cells will build up with this intracellular waste. And how does it get rid of that? Well, it gets rid of that using a process called autophagy. 
Okay. So our cells are filled with this intracellular waste products. And by having all this intracellular waste, it causes cells not to function as effectively. Okay. Essentially acting older. So you can clean out this intracellular garbage, this intracellular waste naturally by actually recycling it for energy. And that's the process of autophagy. Autophagy means self-eating. It's this recycling process that your body does internally to use up that cellular waste. And then when that cellular waste is used up, the cells function more efficiently, more effectively, more youthfully. Mm. But how do you get autophagy to start working? You have to stop eating, okay? And so you have to basically run out of fuel. That will then cause your body to kick in this autophagy process, and it essentially cleans your body from the inside out. So that is truly anti-aging. But the problem is, is that our normal American diet, we are constantly grazing. We're snacking Mm -hmm. all day. And we cannot get into that autophagy mode. And on top of that, as we get older, our body does less and less autophagy. It's it, like anything that slows down. Okay. So how do you then rev up autophagy? You want to take time where you don't eat as long. Now you did a multi-day fast. You do not need to do an 86 hour <laughs> I fast. I know. I'm like really autophagy. That. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. That can start in as little as 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's one of the benefits of intermittent fasting. So in my book, we have a three-week or 21-day jumpstart. And on weeks two and three, we start people on very simple intermittent fasting. Two days a week, you stop eating at 8 p.m., and then you don't eat until the next day at noon. So you give yourself a full 16 hours where you can drink whatever water, coffee, or tea you want, but you don't eat, eat anything technically caloric. That gives your body and your gut a chance to rest. It helps to rev up that process of autophagy, and you will clean your body from the inside out. And that will actually even improve your skin. For men and women, because I've been hearing things, I used to intermittent fast all the time and my cycle is always pretty regular, but I was having like hormonal breakouts and, and I heard another doctor talking about that we can't use fasting the same for men and women because of the way our cycles work. So there are intricacies to fasting that is beyond what I technically go in the book because mm-hmm. I want to get people just starting with mm-hmm. that. Okay. And everybody, you know, Fasting should be done technically differently, you know, when you're in your 20s, when you're 30s, you know, after menopause. Really, there are a lot of kind of modes of thinking of it. And there are books, like there's a good book, a friend of mine, Cynthia Thurlow, she wrote an entire book just on intermittent fasting. I think that's who I was talking about, actually. Yeah, yeah. she's fantastic. If you haven't had her on your show, yeah. I totally make an introduction. Yeah. Oh, she's thank great. You. But she has a whole book on it, you know, yeah. and yeah. so there is a lot of intric- intricacies right. to that. It was yeah. way more mental, but I try to get my dad who, you know, has some health issues and has had a heart attack and you know, clogged arteries and all of that. Oh, I'm like, yeah. try fasting to enter this phase. And, you know, you hear, I could never do that. Yeah, I, like, I need my salami to, at 8 a.m. I, I have to. I'm like, <laughs> yes, you can. So yeah. just for me, like, I think you are so much more capable. That, that's what I realized in my 86 yeah. hours is that. I didn't think I was able to do it. It's like, you actually are. And it's so worth it. I feel amazing. It's just, I think in our society, nobody thinks about it. And Mm -hmm. so even for some people doing a 12-hour fast, is like, oh my gosh, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., I can't eat anything. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it really is something where I think that what I try to encourage people is to, you know, dip your toe in it. And and it is... It's like a it's like a muscle that you work out. Like, yeah. you know, you can you can't go from never fasting to doing a fast like totally. yours. You just can't do that. Like it's like running a marathon. Like mm-hmm. you can't just you you train for it. You can't just show up. Yeah. yeah. You can't just show up to the New York mar- marathon. I think people forget though that like in all regards to this conversation is the body is a machine. We forget it's a machine and it works with you know, for fasting, for example, is like it works by itself if you allow it. It's very 
powerful in recovery and rejuvenation. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it has regenerative, regenerative abilities and you just have to give it the tools and the environment to do that. And unfortunately, that's just not what our society is based off of. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And so that's what I want to try to encourage people is there's so many things that you can do naturally. You know, intermittent fasting is just one of them. And even that, like if people say, geez, I can't do that. Like in my book, we're literally just intermittent fasting two days a week for weeks two and three. And after three weeks of doing that, combine that with supplements, cleaning up your diet and a simple skincare routine. And we had people where they would have strangers on the street tell them, wow, what are you doing with your skin? It looks great. I mean, in as little as three weeks. That's that's amazing. Now, now that's not going to work for you two because (laughs) your skin looks too good starting out. Well, we we put a little makeup on it. Yeah, we've done a couple treatments here Um, and there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Okay, guys, it is the top of the year and we are running on willpower right now to keep those New Year's resolutions. Whatever it is, maybe you gave up drinking, maybe you started a new healthy eating routine or working out more. I like a good New Year's resolution, but the thing is, I feel like oftentimes we end up leaning into the things that we're lacking and then you're just running on willpower and eventually you burn out because you get exhausted. If you lean into your strengths and try to expand on those, you're much more likely to have success in the long run. And that's one of the things that I love about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online therapy that helps you to lean into your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that actually really stick. I've had so much success in my life with therapy in so many factors, but mostly for me around like not repeating patterns and also not like harping on traumas that may have happened in your past that you're still living out the negative effects of. I have really benefited from therapy. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try because it's so convenient. It's entirely online. It's designed to be flexible. You could do it around your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. And then if you're not happy with the therapist that you get, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash barely filtered today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash barely filtered. Okay, guys, you know that I love to share all things health. So I want to tell you kind of a personal story, actually. A couple years ago, I vividly remember just a personal experience. I was at one of my favorite concerts. It was all of my best friends. And I just felt so much pain in my stomach to the point that I had to sit down. I started doing research. I talked to friends and family. Long story short, found out that I have SIBO, which is small intestinal overgrowth of the bacteria. So gut health has become very, very, very important to me. So I wanted to enter Ritual. Ritual has helped me with pre and postnatal. So I turned to other products like the Symbiotic Plus. So the Symbiotic Plus is a three-in-one supplement that Ritual made with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. The daily 3-in-1 prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic with two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. Come on, all pretty girls have some problems. Let's be real. It has been rigorously tested and validated by third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. It is the industry leading in the sustainability standards, and that is why I continue to try, test, and share with you all ritual products. So 
There is no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insights. Get 40% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash barely filtered. This offer is only available through January 31st. So start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash barely filtered for 40% off. Enjoy. I do have a question because, you know, you call yourself a holistic plastic surgeon. And I had a surgery two years ago. I did not get the implants because I was one of the paranoid ones about putting something foreign in my body. So I did a fat transfer. Fat transfer really didn't stick, but we can go into that later because I'm thinking about getting another surgery to fix them again. But I was blown away by the prescription I got before I went into surgery. Like I'm talking, this was enough Oxy, what Vicodin and Xanax to like kill a cow. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, is this really necessary? Like, what's your protocol for prescribing? And and how soon after something like a breast implant can you switch to something like Advil? So Advil is something that I'm a little careful with. There's question mark of whether that may increase the risk of bleeding after surgery. So we we would do, let's say, a Celebrex, which is kind of similar, but does not increase your risk of bleeding. You know, so for us, what I usually give, it depends on the operation. You know, most people, if I do a breast augmentation with implants, they should be off their pain pills within just a couple of days at the Uh most. And technically, the bigger your implant, the more pain you're going to have because your muscle, you typically go under the muscle and that muscle gets stretched and Mm. that's what causes the discomfort. Fat grafting to the breast is something that some people are looking at as a more natural approach for enhancing the breast. But I've got a concern with it myself and I'll explain why. So- one in nine women will get breast cancer in their lifetime, okay? And so we know it's a cancer-prone organ. We have learned over the last 10 years that our fat is chock full of stem cells. So what happens when you take a cancer-prone organ and you infuse it with a ton of stem cells randomly throughout the breasts, mm. okay? Well, stem cells are basically cells that are so young that if you, the idea is that if you put them in a body part, they will grow as that body part. And so that's Mm. the thought with, let's say, cancer, you know, and things like that of like, oh, if you have to have a part of your body removed, you can use stem cells to kind of regrow that organ. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, my issue with fat grafting the breast is theoretically, what if you have a cluster of dysplastic cells, cells that are precancerous? And they will turn into a cancer and a lump when you turn 140 years old, which Hopefully you'll live that long, but unlikely right now that we're going to live that long. But what happens if you infuse a ton of stem cells around those dysplastic cells when you're 30? And what happens to those cells? Is is it possible that you're going to supercharge those and now you're going to have a lot more of them and maybe a cancer shows up when you're 55? I've never heard of that, but I did. I started getting lumps like all in my breast and it freaked me out. So I went and got a mammogram. And they said that it wasn't cancerous, but that something had happened called like necro, something that meant dead. Necrosis, fat necrosis. Yes, like basically they died. And But it's like not a good look. And then also with the fat transfer, if you lose any amount of weight, like my nipples are like up up here, guys. (laughs) It's not a good look. (laughs) We're fixing that. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I love my plastic surgeon. I'm going, I'm going back to him. I'm sure you know who he is. He's in Beverly Hills, Dr. Gavami. If you've yeah, heard yeah, him. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like the fat transfer guy. Yeah. But I always bust his... He, I mean, I didn't follow the protocol. Like, I wasn't supposed to lose weight. I didn't follow any of the like... You know, he's like, you have to wear a sports bra for the rest of your life. I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm actually really happy you said all that. It's terrible that that is possible, but it makes so much so sense much to sense. me. And I haven't had any autoimmune effects. I feel 
great. I'm not concerned. So now I'm getting implants. So thank you very much for clearing that up. So yeah, it's something um, we have to think of. And unfortunately, plastic surgeons, you know, we look at a lot of surgical complications. Yeah. The same thing with breast implant illness. It's like, you know, implants can cause capsular contracture and potential risk of bleeding and stuff like that. But as surgeons, we're not thinking all these other things very much. And right. so for me, that's what I'm trying to do. And we look at this type of thing looking at it from a more holistic perspective, not just as a surgeon's perspective of like, oh, we can inject fat and that yeah. has a low risk of complications like lumpiness and bleeding and infection. But looking at it from a true holistic perspective, we got to look at these other things. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that as plastic surgeons, we just haven't been great at. You're seeing the, the whole picture, which I love. I think you I try like, to. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you want, especially when you're going under. You want to feel like this person has my back. They have my best interests. And like to ask those questions and like you feel like you're cared yeah and for. like they're not i've never heard a plastic surgeon like say anything bad about breast implants because that's their bread and butter yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's when you know i do want to talk about the most the most common surgery in the world and tell me if i'm wrong is it the asian eyelid surgery so in yeah oh. in asia that's one that's totally the most common oh wow yeah. and and how do you feel like ethically about trying to basically change the the look of somebody to look more caucasian so I actually did a video on this on YouTube and essentially it's the, are we making Asian people look more Caucasian? Yeah. You know? And is that really, is the standard of beauty throughout the world basically looking more Caucasian? Well, when you look at it on the surface, so th these operations, so if people who are listening, basically there is a, a lot of Asians, at least half of them, especially Koreans like myself, I'm from South, my parents are from South Korea. Oh, cool. We have what's called a monolid where I don't have an actual crease of my eyelid. Okay. And so there is an operation where we call the double fold or Asian eyelid surgery, where we create this crease as a way to potentially make the eyelids look a little bit more open. Also, the second most common is rhinoplasty surgery, mm -hmm. nose jobs, and essentially to take a nose that's on the flatter side and adding projection to it, making it look a bit more Caucasian. These operations were actually started and popularized back during the Korean War. Now, there was a, a plastic surgeon named Ralph Millard, who was actually a plastic surgeon for the military. And he was out in Korea and started experimenting on Korean women who were marrying actually GIs out there in Korea. Mm -hmm. And his idea, and he's even written this, was that the appearance of the Asian, the, the classic Asian face is going to be concerning for when they go back to the United States. And essentially they said that it was, there are, there are terms that I can't remember exactly, but essentially saying that it was going to be unacceptable, that it looks too foreign and too <laughs> alien, essentially. Wow. And so we need to make them look more, quote unquote, acceptable by doing these operations. And that's where it got really popular. Now it's super popular out in Asia. I have my sub, you know, I don't do those. I started doing them when I was started my practice just because I was like, thought I was supposed to. Yeah. And very quickly, I decided this wasn't for me. And then I had a daughter. My daughter's 15 and she oh. was born and doesn't have the extra fold. And it made me really realize, like, here's this little girl who I think is like the most beautiful girl in the world. And to have her ever think that she's not beautiful unless she undergoes an operation to change her look, her natural look, mm -hmm. absolutely horrified me. Yeah. Now, I don't judge anybody from having it done. I get people who call all the time and I refer them to a good friend of mine here in town. But I won't do the operation. Yeah. And I hope my daughter never feels the need to do it for herself. Now, if she decides she wants to do it, then that's, you know, I support her with whatever she does. I just don't want her to look in the mirror and, and feel inferior because genetically she does she has Asian eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful that yeah. she, that 
you have those beliefs and stand by them. I, I really respect that. But I don't judge anybody. I mean, if people, I mean, so many people have it done out there. Yeah. It's yeah. so. A lot of people was, are getting it here. The the upper blepholomy. Is that? Blepholomy. What is that? I've that's been hearing the that. That's the eyelid surgery. New, yeah. What is um, that? But is that different from the Asian eyelid surgery? So in Caucasians, you already have the crease. And so usually when we do it in Caucasians, I do a lot of those. It's just to remove excess skin that develops usually as we get older. Mm. You can do that with Asian eyelids as well. But once again, the, the hard thing with that is if you're cutting the skin out, you're going to create a scar. So that scar can be visible on a monolid like mine. Whereas with yours, we hide it in the crease where that that fold is. Oh, okay. So it sounds like it sounds like maybe that's not that like hard of a surgery. One of the easier ones. And I, yeah, an Asian blepharoplasty or an upper blepharoplasty removal of the skin of the upper eyelid is like beginner's facial plastic. Okay, all right. So I could do it. What's the most dangerous <laughs> surgery, like elective surgery, to get? If it's done in the wrong hands, it's BBL. Oh, oh, yeah. Wait, yeah. that's the butt? Brazilian yeah, butt. Yeah, right? I've heard that. Yes. Really? I would think it's just your butt. Like, is there a lot going on there other than just So that? the idea basically is you, you liposuction fat from one part of your body, and then you inject it into the butt as a way to give somebody a badonka donk. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super popular, obviously, after the Kardashians and, and all that. But what happened was there was actually a survey taken several years ago and found a one in 3,000 death rate from this <gasps> operation. One in 3,000. Now, you compare that to general plastic surgery, it has about a one in 50,000 mortality rate, okay? One in 50,000 people undergoing uh, plastic surgery in general can die from it. Really? Uh, so one in 3,000 is alarming. Mm-hmm. And so why was that happening? Well, basically the way it is, is that when we take fat and inject it into the body, your body has to create blood supply, blood vessels to grow into that fat to allow that fat to survive. If it doesn't get enough blood vessels, it develops Necrosis. Exactly. <laughs> oh no. Okay. So I didn't have enough blood flow in my boobs. So that's that that's what can happen. So either one of two things will happen. Either your body will kind of absorb the fat and it will just disappear, or it can actually necrose and get kind of hard and become a, like a lump. Um, and so what part so if you're gonna inject a bunch of fat into somebody's butt and you want that fat to stay, you want it, it needs to have enough blood supply. So what part of our body has the most blood supply? Our muscles. Mm. So where do we have the largest muscles of our body? are gluteus muscles. Okay. So doctors think, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And why don't I inject a bunch of fat into the gluteus muscles? And then that, because there's a lot of blood supply in those muscles, and those are huge muscles we can inject into it, that fat will stay and we give them a lot of fat tape. You know, a lot of it will stay afterwards. Well, the problem is with big muscles come big blood vessels, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you accidentally inject fat into a blood vessel and that fat goes to the heart or the lungs, Mm It's like Luke Skywalker shooting those missiles into the Death Star and the Death Star exploding. Wow. People die within minutes <gasps> because literally they cannot get oxygen into their tissues and they die. And the people dying from that operation are not 65-year-old women who are having a facelift and have multiple medical issues. These are like 22-year-old young women, often young women of color who are getting operations a lot of times in Florida for a mm-hmm. cheap rate sometimes. <laughs> I've been in Florida I've plug. Heard, I've heard, I've heard it. I've heard it. The first time I ever got lip filler was in Miami and it was oh, not there good. You go. <laughs> it was not a good look. So now it, now it can be done safely, we know, if you inject fat above the muscle and there are even uh, laws now in Florida, Florida is the only place <laughs> where you have to use ultrasound where you can actually see where you're injecting the fat. And so you wow. can do it safely but you got to have it done by somebody who's an expert. Dr. Gavami has been huge on, on doing that mm-hmm. and helping teach that and, and teaching a very safe, safe technique. 
I just don't do it. It was never my big thing. Yeah, but yeah. he loves things. butts. If you walk yeah. into yeah. his like literally his lobby, every single person he works for him has the butt. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, they like it here. Well, I, I think butts are on their way out. I don't know. What do you think is the next trend in plastic surgery? Or what are you seeing more of? So Ozempic is like so yeah. huge. Yeah. What do you think about Man. it? I mean, people are losing a lot of weight, which can be very healthy for a lot of them. The one thing that I have, okay, once again, looking at from a more holistic perspective. Yes. So I've got friends of mine who are, you know, alternative medicine experts and, and some of them really love it. And some of them are questionable. The only thing I worry about with Ozempic is what does it do? It slows down the motility of your GI tract. Okay. So things just don't move as quickly through it. Oh. So we know that food, basically our food can contain free radicals. Okay. So one of the main agers of our body is oxidation or free radicals. Okay. And that's one reason why we're so big on antioxidants, you know, eating colorful fruits and vegetables, using vitamin C serum on your skin. Okay. That's all antioxidants to fight free radicals. So the foods that have the most free radicals are ultra processed foods. And so what happens if you take somebody who's on, let's say a really unhealthy diet, they're eating a ton of ultra processed foods. They get on Ozempic or Wigovi or Wigovi or one of these, and it slows down their gastric motility. The food's moving through their gut much more slowly. So now their gut tissue is exposed to this food longer mm. uh, at, at longer intervals. Is that going to potentially increase your risk of problems mm -hmm. like potential cancer in the future? I don't know. And can but you once speak, again, wow. something that we need to That's figure out. I yeah. haven't heard of that one. And yet. then you might, you'll, you definitely know better than I, but I heard that with Ozempic, you're losing at a rapid rate, much more muscle. And as you have said, we need that muscle to appear youthful. And I've noticed with some people on Ozempic, all of a sudden they, they look actually older. They're much more pale in the face. They're looking hollow. Is that true? Like the rate of losing fat versus muscle is So harmful? I think the, the people that I've talked to who are nutritionists, uh, a good friend of mine, JJ Virgin, she's been um, really open with talking a lot about that and the effects of muscle. And so I do know a lot of people who are encouraging their um, patients, their clients to get on a higher protein diet if they're on it. I haven't looked at studies at all on it, mm -hmm. so I can't comment myself, mm -hmm. but I do think that that's something that people are definitely looking at. And, and yes, really, there's this kind of phenomenon called Ozempic face. Yeah, now we have exactly. Ozempic butt. Yeah. And it'll probably be Ozempic yes. breasts and <laughs> yeah, Ozempic seriously. hips and all that type of stuff. <laughs> but essentially what it is, is you lose weight and you lose volume. Your face, as we get older, what happens? It's a three-dimensional process. And so we lose volume and it makes you look older and it can make your but kind of look flatter. Yeah, okay. we don't want that. We don't want so. that. Then you need a BBL in Florida. Tell us about <laughs> your favorite non-surgical procedures, whether or not you do any of them. Like, how do you feel about red light or is there, is there a laser that you love? So if you were to pick one treatment that's good bang for your buck. So if you've got followers that don't have access to a med spa or a dermatologist or plastic surgeon and they're on a, a very strict budget, then I think red light therapy definitely is the way to go. So red light therapy is interesting because plastic surgeons, if you ask them, hey, what do you think about red light therapy? They'll look at you with kind of a blank yeah, stare. Yeah. Uh, dermatologists know a bit more about it, but it's all the rage in the alternative medicine circles. Yeah. And so the idea behind red light therapy, especially for the skin, is that that red light, the energy from the red light is transfused essentially into your cells and it causes your mitochondria to become kind of like supercharged. Mm. And that will create more ATP, which is more energy. And so essentially you've got cells that are now more energized and they're acting more like youthful cells. So what does the science show? There have been a handful of studies on red light therapy and its effect on the skin. There was one study I looked at that was a split face study where you literally split the face in half, not physically, it's not surgery, yeah. um, but you treat one side of the face with a sham laser or light and then the other side with actual red light therapy. And they found that after 90 days of treatment, 
an improvement in fine lines and hydration and elasticity wow. of the skin. And are wow. they all, the thing that I have the problem with, cause I, I have a red light and I used to go to this med spa and I used to lay in a bed and I yeah. looked up how much that bed cost and it was like almost $90,000. And then the mask I have is 300. Like, how do we know what's a good red light? That I can't tell you exactly okay. because there isn't any, I mean, there are, I think it's going to come down to companies yeah. and looking at, there are certain companies that focus all on red light therapy. Mm -hmm. And then there are other companies that will basically ship it in from China mm -hmm. and, you know, they have kind of all the same type of devices. So the thing that mm -hmm. I would look at would be looking at the company. Is this a company that just does red light therapy? Where are they based out of? You know, because you could go on Alibaba and buy yeah. red light right. therapy like yeah. devices and you could bring them here, slap your label on it and sell it. And that's probably not going to work as well as yeah. some of these companies who are truly doing research and they want to create the most powerful red light therapy device that they can. Well, I hear I hear just get all your skincare from Korea because they're doing it the best. Is that true? Um, so Korean skincare is really good because they're so obsessed with it. Okay. <laughs> the one thing that they have much better outside yeah. of the United States is our sunscreens. You know, because we have very limited number because for these ingredients to get approved, they have to get approved by the FDA as if they're a drug. Mm. In Europe and in Korea, you don't. So they have a lot more of, you know, because right now, you know, if you, if you apply sunscreen, a lot of people don't like it because they feel it on their skin all day. Yeah. Mm. It's very different than if you just apply a moisturizer and you don't feel it, but you just, it feels comfortable. If you go to Korea, there are sunscreens out there that you apply it on your skin and it feels just like you're putting a moisturizer oh, on. Wow. Um, but we don't have access to those here in the States just yeah. because of the FDA approval process. The thing with Korea though, that I really discourage people is that there are so many people who are here in the States who have skin issues and their skin issues are not due to not applying enough product, but due to applying too much products. Okay. So I get so many people that say, geez, I'm breaking out. I've got adult acne or I've got you know, rosacea, or I've got all these skin, my skin is inflamed. What do I do? What do I add to my skincare regimen? And the answer is you do the opposite. And so one of the things I have in the book is a two minutes, five years younger skincare routine where you just bring everything down to the basics. Mm -hmm. And if you just stick to those basics, then the vast majority of people are going to get a great result just from that. And if you want to mm -hmm. add stuff to it, feel free. But if you're on like a 12 step skincare routine that people recommend <laughs> yeah. in Korea, Sometimes it can actually backfire. Yeah, yeah. especially with like melasma. More. I found a lot of products were kind of exacerbating that for me. But what I'm hearing, let me see if I can guess what your, a couple of your steps are. Because I, right, I hear that you You're like vitamin C. you didn't C. read my book? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Sparknotes version. Um, I'm hearing vitamin C. You like vitamin C? Topical? So yes. Yeah. So in the morning, you want to cleanse your skin and then ideally apply vitamin C. If you want to get even better, then a vitamin C and E combination is mm -hmm. synergistic. And, and why is that? Okay. There was a study that looked at them and found that both of them are antioxidants. But if they, you, you combine them, they have a even better effect, the two of and them. And this is, you're supposed to keep it out of the sun. I've heard things about vitamin C too, because I'm like one of those people who just keeps everything in the car and smacks it on when I feel like it. And like, it, it, yeah. it has a, it's not very stable, right? Vitamin exactly. C? So if you get a vitamin C serum, you need to make sure that it's either in an amber bottle or in a bottle that is com that completely does not allow light in because it will oxidize. It's like if you take a slice of apple and you leave it out, then it, you know, it turns yeah, brown. Right. That's oxidation. Oh, interesting. Right. And, and so it made if, me break out. If your vitamin C is yellow, then it's fine. If it's brown, especially like dark brown, then it has probably oxidized and mm -hmm. it may not be quite as effective. Okay. So wash your face, put vitamin C serum on. And you have this in, in your skincare line of vitamin C? Yeah. It's, well, ours is CE as the CE antioxidant serum. And okay. so it's C and E. 
it's kind of a pseudo dupe. There's a really popular one called CE Ferulic from SkinCeuticals. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, like, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty crazy famous. crazy expensive, but it's great. That with yeah. the IS Clinical he- Pro Heal. I u- used to use that one too. And they're expensive. They're, and they come in these little like fragile like, glass yeah. bottles. one ounce. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's and like 160 bucks. It, and there you go. Yes, yeah. which I have. Now we know why. What about like a <laughs> chemical exfoliator? So once a week, if you have sensitive skin, you should exfoliate your skin either with a chemical exfoliator or you can use a real gentle scrub. If you've got normal skin, then twice a week, maybe three times at the most. You don't want to over exfoliate your skin because you can disrupt the barrier function. And there's also probiotics or uh, microbiome on the skin as well. Okay. Um, so that's definitely, that's one of the steps as well. And then what type of a, an SPF are we supposed to put on our skin? So ideally you want to do at least SPF 30. Mm-hmm. What I encourage people, so SPF sunblock is also kind of can be controversial, mm-hmm. but essentially I do recommend SPF 30, especially, especially if you're going to be out, ideally try to avoid oxybenzone and octinoxate. They are considered potential endocrine or hormone disruptors and they are potentially harmful to the coral reefs. And so there's been a trend toward in, in kind of natural and clean beauty to get away from those two ingredients. Yeah. So most people would recommend using a physical blocker like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. The problem with those, like you two could use it because you've got lighter skin, mm-hmm. but if you've got darker skin, then it can change the color of your skin and, and not look so good. Right. So if that's the case and you want to use a chemical sunscreen that, that has either avobenzone or Megzoral XL. Those are not shown to be hormone disruptors and they can be much lighter on the skin. They're not going to create that. Right. That it's so change. interesting. You can have, you know, hormone issues and it could be your sunscreen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just so wild. Or it's me. like, it took me years to, to realize why every time I took a picture, like my face, I would look like a ghost. And it, it was the zinc. It was like the physical yeah. sunscreen. If you take yeah. a lot of photos, if you're in our world, don't use a chemical or a physical sunscreen. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question aside from skin. Do you have any more skin questions? Um, for that? No, no go Okay, because this one's really interesting. I have a lot of friends who are in their 40s and 50s, specifically men, but women as well. And it's on the line of, you know, staying young. HGH, peptides, TRT. I've seen this as a huge trend. What are your thoughts on that? So this is something that I don't get too much into. So there is, I think, aging of the skin. And then there's overall like longevity. And there are anti-aging experts who will talk about, let's say, NAD and Mm -hmm. taking these supplements to try to increase the longevity genes and all of that. I don't get a lot into that. You know, it's funny because, and I put it in my book, you know, there are these anti-aging researchers that really, they talk a lot about things like fasting and caloric restriction, and they talk about those types of supplements and peptides, but they don't necessarily look the youngest. David Sinclair, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I mean, it's fine, <laughs> yeah. but not all of them do. Yeah. And so for me, I look at it. It's they're studying too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there's that group, which I find really interesting, but how realistic is that for the average person? Yeah. And, and some of these supplements are not really shown to help. And so for me, when I get into supplements and that's part of the jumpstart, these are supplements that are tried and true that we know will help and that you that the average person can get can get a hold of them mm-hmm. and not have to spend hundreds of dollars a month on mm-hmm. supplements. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, what I try to encourage people is to take a daily collagen supplement. I think that that's that can really help. And especially if you're looking at hair, skin, nails and bones, I recommend taking a daily probiotic and the health of the gut definitely impacts the health of the skin. Mm-hmm. An omega-3 supplement. And I think that, too, once again, reduces inflammation. Inflammation is a major cause of aging. I recommend an antioxidant supplement and a multivitamin. I mean, that's already five yeah. supplements a day. <laughs> What's nice is you can literally get those on Amazon versus and spend like a hundred bucks total versus like the, the friend I'm thinking in specific. He looks 12 and he's 50, so he looks great. Hey, there you go. But he's spending thousands a month. Well, like and I think that there are biohackers again. and I have friends of mine who are biohackers and they love doing that. Yeah. But that's a really small portion of the population. Totally, totally. And if they are wanted, you know, I have friends of mine that are taking like 50 
pills a day and stuff. Yep. But the average person, that's not doable. And yeah. so I really want to, what I try to do is focus on those things that are achievable, that people can make these small steps towards better health, better skin. And yes, if you want to get through all of that and say, hey, you know what? Just intermittent fasting two days a week is not enough. I want to do, I want to do an 86 hour fast. And mm -hmm. by all means, feel free to do that. The one thing with fasting though, I just want to throw in is you also want to make sure that you're eating enough protein. And right. that's the one concern in people who say intermittent fast every day you've got only then two meals to get all your protein in. And that's one thing you just yeah. want to make sure you watch those. Yeah. As well as I heard salt. When I was doing this, they said, make sure you lick salt. Something about the electrolytes. Can you speak on that? So one thing that can happen as you clean up your diet is that you're not eating these ultra processed foods. And so you're getting less of this salt added to your diet. And so, yes, there is a concern for some people when they clean up their diet that they're not getting enough of that enough of the minerals essentially. And so taking like element, those types of uh, supplements can really help people. I myself, I'll take that when I operate because if I operate all day, eventually I sometimes will find I get a little cramps sometimes. Yeah, we don't want I that. We don't want that. that. <laughs> I don't want my plastic surgery. I think here. it's interesting though that everyone's like, oh, I don't have the money to afford these biohacks. It's like, listen, the number, the, the biohack we're talking about right now is not eating. That's cheap. It's like, you don't actually need to buy a probiotic. Can you just eat something like fermented, right? Yeah. Fermented that's better. Food. That's even better. Yeah. And that's one of the big things that I, that I talk about in the book is reducing inflammation by improving the health of your gut. The problem is what fermented foods do we have here in the United States? Kimchi. <laughs> well, but yeah, is I it mean, real kimchi? That's Korean. Yeah. yeah. So we've got um, sauerkraut and yeah. yogurt. Like yeah. really, that, and, and people put sauerkraut in their brats, but really very little else. Maybe yeah. if you have a Reuben. Yeah. Putting it on a people? hot dog, it doesn't count. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you've got yogurt, which I think is, you know, it definitely helps, but it's not the ideal source, in my opinion. I think, yeah, miso, kimchi. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you saw, I actually thanked you guys for having me here because my mom made dinner for me last night. She lives in Orange oh, County. Oh. And it's like kimchi and she made kimbap, which is like kind of like sushi, Korean sushi oh, rolls. I love, like that's that. what I love about so going good. to any Korean restaurant is all the little things you get of all yes. the fermented the best food. The, the Asian food is so yeah. good. Yeah. 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 I yeah. didn't all know that. Side dishes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So yeah. good. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't have to be expensive. And then drinking water. That's pretty cheap, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Wearing a hat, like cover your skin from the yeah. sun. <laughs> Cancel one of your streaming services and take control yeah. of your health. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much again. I mean, we could obviously talk forever. This is like, we love this stuff. Yeah. So thank you. Tell us where we can find you on your social channels, your um, your practice, and of course your book. So yeah, I'm all over social media. Just look for me, Dr. Yoon. Uh, my book, Younger for Life, uh, I encourage people to go to autojuvenation.com. That's our website. Uh, if you do pre-order the book or if you order the book, because it should be on sale now, um, we will give you actually a bunch of free gifts, including a companion recipe book and a $30 gift certificate to our online store, Yoon Beauty, Ooh. if you want to try our skincare products. And I try to encourage people, if you're going to buy a book, like I said, mine's called Younger for Life. Uh, and you want to buy it online, there is a website called bookshop.org. And it's similar to like Amazon and all these big websites, but you can choose your local bookstore to actually get the profit of your purchase. And so if you look for my book there, Younger for Life, you can actually choose your local independent bookstore and then they will actually send the profit of that sale to that bookstore. Um, oh, so you that's can support so nice. your local That's bookseller. awesome of you. Yeah. yeah, look at that, you guys. This guy's not just trying to make a quick buck. He's got, <laughs> he's got we it We learned all. a lot today. Well, yeah, thank you so, so thank much. You. so much Pleasure. for having me on. This is fun. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.